0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is a place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Monday, October 31st. And yes, it is indeed Halloween. This is a pretty fun episode because it's it's Halloween and you're going to hear some scary transitions in between topics. That's probably the only thing that we'll be celebrating with today. But yeah, um, I haven't had any candy today. And I'm pretty disappointed about it. I thought that some of my some of my professors today would maybe pass out some candy, but none of them did. And I was a little bit disappointed about that. Matt, have you had any candy today?
1: Not yet, no, but I'm staying at our parents' house and we got trick-or-treaters and stuff. There's a big bowl of candy sitting on the stairs. And right after we finish this, uh, I'm going to go probably dive into that and hopefully maybe leave some for the rest of the
0: trick-or-treaters, but also maybe not. Yeah, I mean, well... I know that I used to dig in whenever we had trick or treaters at the house, but unfortunately, I am in my humble abode here in my apartment at UVA. So, yeah, I've got—I've actually got. Well, I've got a Fit Crunch protein bar that I'm about to eat when Matt's talking, and that's probably my candy for the day. That's my sweet for the day. So, I, can, I guess I can consider that candy. But yeah, so we're back today after a week of not having an episode, and that is because I unfortunately got Matt sick because I was a little bit sick going to the wedding. Yeah, and we were in a car for, like we said, more than 24 hours to total in the span of like three days together. So, yeah, that's what happened. I think I also got his wife sick, so um, that's that's on me, but that's probably why we didn't do uh, an episode last week, but we're back with an episode this week and really excited about it. Matt, are you excited to get into it?
1: Well, yeah, we did an episode like. It was just kind of before the sickness really went on. Hayden got in the car. I guess it was almost a week and a half ago at this point. Hayden got in the car and I heard him for 30 seconds. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, there goes my next two weeks because I don't know, which none of you probably do. My immune system is really horrible. And so anytime around someone who is sick for even close to any type of extended period of time, I know I'm going to get sick too. So I was like, all oh, right, good. That's, that's really good. Hayden. And he obviously has the college flu, which everyone gets after going back uh, for this, for the new semester. So then being around him, I was like, cool, that's, uh, that's probably going to happen, but shout out to Marine, my wife, who our immune system is pretty good. She's still holding, holding strong. She's had a couple instances of not feeling too good, but I mean, nothing like kind of I dealt with. I mean, obviously you can hear it in my voice. I'm not, not, uh, not as normal, but you know, I'm, I'm getting over it though. The worst of it was, kind of, you know, through the middle of last week, um, I was still able to, you know, function. It wasn't a wasn't the flu or anything, but definitely not comfortable. And and yes, all brought on by Hayden. So, you know, going to blame him for all of this, but we're still here to get the
0: podcast out. Yeah, I, I really can't help it. And honestly, it I get the college flu for a week and then it goes away and then I don't have it for a week and then the next week it comes back. So it's just like basically every other week I just get re sick and it, it sucks. But that's how it is. So I'm basically just forever sick when I'm at college, but hey, it's a fun time. And the important thing is the, pod, is the podcast today, which we're going to hop into right now with NFL. So the Cowboys had a very impressive performance against the Bears this past week. They put up almost 50 points and they won by three scores. Now we expected them to beat the Bears, obviously, but they also satisfied many people's expectations when it comes to the true potential of the team, because we know the defense is really good and Dak was hurt for a little bit and he looks great coming back from his injury. But the biggest story of this game was Tony Pollard, who absolutely went crazy. I think he had like 140 something yards on the ground and three touchdowns. And we've seen Pollard and Zeke share carries for the better part of, I'd say like three or four years now. But what happened this week kind of confirmed or may have confirmed most of our suspicions that Pollard might actually be the better running back out of the two. Now let's share our thoughts on the Cowboys backfield situation, including what the Cowboys might decide to do going forward with this backfield, as well as why it may not be the case. Matt, go ahead.
1: So as we know, Ezekiel Elliott is an amazing running back. He was all the way back in college when he was at Ohio State he was there when they won the championship in 2014. I think he rushed for over 2,000 yards in one of those years. I don't even know, but in, I remember in the national championship he had like 200 yards and four touchdowns. It's like an an amazing athlete, right? Then he goes to the Cowboys. Rookie season, he rushes for like 1,600 yards, and I think he had five thousand yard season. He might actually still have that streak. I don't know. Maybe last year he he broke it, but I'm pretty sure he still has had like a thousand yards every season, which has obviously gone under the radar a little bit, you know, these past few years because. He just hasn't really, you know, kind of kept up with his first like two or three years in the league. He took the storm. Everybody, you know, was so you know, he's the best running back in the league. It, you know, all this stuff. well, cool. He also was thrown into an amazing situation. Well, amazing offensive situation uh, with the Cowboys there, who, if you remember, even before, you know, Dak was there, it was Tony Romo and it was DeMarco Murray. Shout out to the people who remember that guy, because he is your definition of just like, Nobody thought he was anything, but you put him behind the cowboys offensive line and he runs like a freight train. Uh, and so he kind of transitions out as Ezekiel Elliott comes in, and then Zeke goes crazy as well. And so you're thinking, Oh, well, well amazing! You know, this is this is, this guy is 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 unlike we have ever seen, and obviously he's big and he's tough and he's strong, but he's also really fast, he catches the ball, he has everything. Well, then he got hurt a little bit in the you know following years and stuff, and getting held out a little bit. Then, he, you know, the drama starts up with, oh, well, you know, they're not going to pay much money as he wants to be paid. And he's, you know, in Mexico, holding out a training camp and all this stuff because he wants his money, all the, you know, the regular stuff that happens, right? And, and the main argument there was, okay, I understand, we understand that he wants to make a lot of money. Everyone does. We understand that he deserves to be paid a lot of money because he's one of the best athletes and one of the best running backs in the entire league. Here's the problem, though. A, he'd already gotten hurt a couple times. B, running backs, as we know now, yes, individually, they're extremely talented, but across the league and just in general, the way that the offense has played nowadays in the NFL running backs are a little bit expendable. We see a lot of teams now go to a multi-back system where you don't have one guy who's doing everything. And that's because it gets easier to get hurt. It's, you know, you have to end up paying them a lot more money. And so there was a lot of reasons why the Cowboys were kind of hesitant to pay Zeke a lot of money. And he was like, well, that's cool because I'm not going to be a running back then. And they didn't have Tony Pollard. So it was like, all right, well, I guess we got to do it. And obviously Jerry Jones, he he is a very player-friendly owner. And so he was like, you know, right, We'll write up the contract. We'll give him a lot of money. I think. It, he became at that point, maybe still, I want to still is. Cause I feel like un- unless it's like Derrick Henry or something, he, he's probably still, or at least among the top paid running backs in the entire league based on this contract, I guess he got, you know, a couple, couple of years ago at this point. So anyway, that's, that's the reason, right. It just struggles, despite not looking like he did in the first couple of years that he was in the league, despite the injuries and the kind of the drama that always seems to surround Ezekiel Elliott, they continue To play him, right? And now obviously last week when the Cowboys were playing the Lions, Zeke Elliott had two touchdowns. Now, carries-wise and yards-wise, I think he had like 15 yards or like you know 20-something yards for in, in the two touchdowns, obviously. But Pollard did the majority of the work, you know, rushing yards, all that. And so you're thinking, no, he still had production. But, you know, now he's hurt and it's like, oh, well, he's still part of the team. is still going to pay him all this money. And it's like, clearly now, as we saw, Tony Pollard is the more talented running back. He's the better running back. He should be, he should be the starter in Dallas. Here's the problem though, because of the amount of money that Dallas paid him, meaning Zeke, they basically have to play him. Like, it's one of those things where, you know, if you spend a, like, if like buy a luxury, if you buy a Ferrari, right? Like. You can let it sit in your garage and then not do anything and not be able to show it off to anybody or not be able to drive it down the street and, and, you know, get people like, wow, that's really cool. Or you can use it and drive it, which is supposed to be done with a car. It's similar with this kind of situation here with the Cowboys. Like Zeke, okay. You know, I've kind of been talking about him. Like he's an afterthought. No, he's still a very, very talented running back. And he's just had a lot of injuries and drama and stuff surrounding it that has kind of, and he hasn't been producing like he was when he was first in the league. Now it's really impossible to have like 1600 yards every single year, except if your name, you know, unless your name's Derrick Henry, which he's just a different breed. Um, and so when you're at that level to kind of come down from that level a little bit, or have the expectations of continuing with that level, you know, I mean, you, you're going to have some type of situation where you might not be able to keep up with that. And I think that's kind of where Zeke is at. And, and despite that fact, it's, it's a little bit it's a little bit murky still so I think the situation is they paid him too much money for them not to play him because he's still good enough but the problem is you have Tony Pollard who's a better running back and they're paying him a lot less money and so I think that's kind of their their thought process It's like well let's just, let's just share you know Tony Pollard offers a different set of skills and abilities and everything else than, than Zeke does at this current moment but man, I mean, Tony Pollard should be the starting running back. Like obviously the bears defense is not that good. Okay. They traded away Robert Quinn, who was there, who led the team in sacks uh, last year. And then they just created trade away Roquan Smith today to the, um, to the Ravens. So like, Kind of getting rid of everyone. You don't expect the Bears defense to be amazing, so yes, Tony Pollard looked really good against the Bears defense. Zeke probably would have as well, but I think that just in seeing how well the offense flowed, and obviously Dak was back too. So there's a lot of I think a lot of recency bias that you can say just by looking at this game, where oh, you know, the Tony Pollard's far and away better than Zeke, and why are we even playing Zeke anymore? Again, it goes back to the contract to pay him a lot of money. He's also kind of a staple of the program at this point as well. He's been there longer than probably most of the people on the team. And so, you know, he knows the Cowboys culture and he's he's a big guy. He's a motivating person. He's good to be around. He's, he's a good, I think, a good locker room guy, good for the culture. But it's just it's just interesting to see, like, you know, are, are, are the Cowboys hindering themselves by playing Zeke as much as they are is this quote-unquote injury, is it even real, right? Or do they just kind of want to like sit him for a week and see what they could do with Tony Pollard? I think the interesting thing will be going forward to see if the, the, like the share of carries, like between how much they're playing Zeke versus Tony Pollard, if that increases towards Tony Pollard's side. Like if, if based on this performance, if he gets more work in the coming weeks, that'll be the interesting thing to see. If not, then we kind of know, okay, well, they're still going to respect Zeke's contract. They're going to play him a lot and it might just kind of be the same. And obviously with Dak back and everything, I think the offense is going to be okay, but I think that's going to be the interesting piece. Is Like we kind of saw what the clear answer was based on this week's result. Is that going to be the same going forward? I don't really know.
0: I think it won't be the same thing going forward. I I think I feel pretty strongly about this in the sense that I love Tony Pollard. I've always been a big fan of him. I've been saying that Tony Pollard needs to start since last season, literally, but I mean, obviously the Cowboys are going to do whatever they want. And there are a couple other kids or a couple other people that I'm around that share the same sentiment. AZ, who I used to do this podcast with and who's been on this podcast since then. And, you know, he's, he's been one to say that Tony Pollard is, is should be the starter in Dallas. And it's exactly why Matt, you know, the reason, the reason that Matt just brought up that Zeke is still the starter there after so many big games by Pollard when Zeke is either out or when, Pollard just somehow kind of has the hot hand and they ride with him that game. He always seems to do super well, but then Zeke just comes back and starts the next game. And it's because they paid him so much. They paid, just to kind of give you some numbers on this, these, Zeke's contract that he signed back in 2019 was a six-year, $90 million contract, and it was $50 million guaranteed. So essentially, we're talking like, I don't know, eight-ish million guaranteed per year. But if you want to go you know, full contract with incentives and everything like that, Sixty or ninety million. I mean, that's that's going on what I think almost like thirteen or fourteen million a year if he if he fulfills his contract, which is just crazy. Like that's for a running back. First of all, a six year contract for a running back is just pretty outlandish. After you go through his whole rookie year con or his whole rookie contract, um, and he, I mean, I assume that he took the fifth year option as well. So five years with the Cowboys, and then they give you they give him another six year extension, which is eleven years. Like most running backs don't even really last that long in in the league. Now, Zeke was a very highly ranked prospect coming out of coming out of college. And I guess that means that he could be durable. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we've seen we've seen a lot of good running backs kind of just falter out like the the Arian Fosters of the world. DeMarco Murray, I think he only had probably like a seven-ish year career. Like he, he didn't really have that long of a career either. And he was so good. And Arian Foster, same thing. He was so, so good with the Texans but then once he fizzled out he just completely fizzled out and he had to retire. So it's like I think that with Zeke, I don't know if Zeke's going to retire anytime soon, but I think that if we do see a takeover of Tony Pollard in this backfield and we kind of see Zeke take the back seat, there might be some shakeup in terms of of you know Zeke either wanting a trade or something like that. Because I think other teams are probably going to look at this and say okay, well if Zeke takes the back seat, then we're probably going to try to trade for him in some capacity. And that I guess kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we haven't really, right. We've seen Zeke struggle with injuries over the past couple of years. We've seen him just get outplayed countless times by Tony Pollard. And it's just, it's, it's kind of a sticky situation. Now you could also say that Tony Pollard is one of those guys that benefits from being the backup, you know, like nobody really expects much of him. Well now people do, but in the past, nobody really expected anything of him. And so he was able to just kind of go out there with no expectations and, just ball out. And a lot of guys, you know, kind of feed off of being that second back and, and being that kind of other guy in the offense, rather than the star guy in the offense. Some guys feed off of that and they do really well in that role. Can Tony Pollard be the starting back? I think that we've seen him be the starting back multiple times. Like I said, when, when Zeke's been hurt or when he's just taken over games, we've, we've seen him do it enough to the point where we can say, okay, he can really be a starting back. You know, there's other backs that just that have, there's other backup running backs in the league that have had like really, really good games just out of nowhere. But then the starter comes back and it's like, okay, well, you know, he is a starter for a reason. Right. But I think Tony Pollard, like there is definitely reason to say here that Tony Pollard is just, he's the quicker guy. He's, he moves laterally quicker. I think he's faster than Zeke at this point. Zeke, you know, is, is bigger. He, he makes cool plays like the hurdle plays and everything like that. But I think Tony Pollard just has a, a better overall skill set and Zeke just doesn't have the, the, backup running back or like the third down back type of build to where he can become somebody that can fill that role so I don't think that we're going to see a switch in this Cowboys backfield as much as I think that we should I don't think that we're gonna I think it's going to stay the same with Zeke being the primary guy and Tony Power just being the guy that basically the guy that they can lean on at any point that they want I mean that you could call this one of the best backfields in the league behind maybe like the Packers backfield but Right. It's it's just going to come down to they paid Zeke way too much money for way too long. And now we're seeing the effects of that.
1: Obviously, right. We talk about this offense as a whole. Zach Prescott was out for a little while. Cooper Rush came in it, and it didn't really change much. It wasn't explosive like it looked like it was, you know, yesterday in the, in the against the Bears. But it was it was good enough. And I think that's also, uh, you know, kudos to the running game because, it's, yeah, Cooper Rush was was good. And he was, you know, he he did what he wants to do, which is go into the game, manage it, make sure you get the wins. And he did that. And it's hard to do that as a backup. But like he didn't set the world on fire. He didn't have crazy stats and throw five touchdowns. Like if you're going to argue for anything, it's that the running game was able to bolster this team offensively in Dak's absence. Which is crazy because you think about the fact that Dak has been basically, you know, the whole team for the better part of the, you know, like four years here, you know, and the passing game, CeeDee Lamb and all these receivers and everything like that. So they have a lot of weapons offensively in, in, the, in the passing game as well, but they haven't even needed the passing game to get a bunch of their wins this season with Cooper Rush behind center. Now you bring in Dak and it's yesterday how potent the, the passing offense can be too. And so I think that when you, when the passing game, when we, we know this all the time, when the running game work, passing game works off of that. And then, you know, once defenses get scared, of, scared of a deep threat or, you know, guys going outside or whatever it may be opens up more lanes for the running game. Right. So I think this offense is really kind of coming together and seeing, and this is kind of what Hayden was saying at the beginning and kind of introducing the time. We're seeing the true potential of this offense. And the crazy part is everything. The, every you know, good thing that we've said about the Cowboys so far is the offense. The strength of this team, guys, is the defense. So, and we saw obviously Mark Micah Parsons had another insanely athletic yesterday, even though it was gifted to by uh, by Justin Fields. So, the defense is what's winning them ball games. And the offense is, is you know, it's kind of supplementing and, and, and coming off of that. Obviously, yesterday, the, the Bears scored 29 points, which is, I think, the most that the Cowboys have allowed this far. Interesting enough that, you know, it's to the Bears. But the Cowboys scored 49 points. I mean, like, it's one of those games where it was just a shootout and it was going to be a shootout, shootout no matter what. And so, you know, in a game like where against the Lions last week, uh, you know, when the Cowboys played the Lions, I think they beat them. They ended up beating 24 to 6. But the game was close early. I think at halftime it was like. 10 to six, or it was, you know, six to three or something like that. The lions were actually winning that game. I think, first quarter, but then you saw after the first quarter, I don't think the lions scored a point for the rest of the game. And, and obviously, you know, the lions have had kind of been up boring wise, but we saw them put up a bunch of points in the first half against the, against the dolphins yesterday. Right. So the defense is stopping good offense. And as a result of that, the offense hasn't really needed to do much. And I think yesterday is kind of the opposite of that. It's performing out of this world, they were up 28 to seven. And so when you're in that situation and you're, you know, you're on the defensive side of the ball, you're like, all right, well, all we need to do is just not lose this game. All we need to do is just not give up a touchdown every single time the other team, you know, has the ball. And and at that point, it almost is a relief for the defense because it's like, Hey, this is good. You know, we've been carrying this team for the better part of the, well, the entire season, really, especially when Cooper Rush was the, was, was, you know, the quarterback when Dak was out. Now that Dak is back And we have, you know, obviously both the running backs, as we just discussed in the topic, playing so well and and up to their abilities. And if the Cowboys score this many points in tandem with the defense that can really shut anybody down, I think this team is really destined for for, for a good future. And I think next week I I was holding off on the temptation to do like state of the league, where are we at? Because um, I think next week is a perfect time to do that because that'll be after week nine. And obviously there's 18 weeks in the regular season in the NFL. So that'll be kind of our halfway point. I think next week we're going to do a kind of a big, you know, playoff predictions, where we're at so far, who we think is going to make it, who we think is going to, who we think is going to trail off. So the Cowboys, I think, are obviously on everybody's radar at this point. But I think, can actually be in the running for, you know, for obviously making the playoffs, but even potentially making a deep run and going a little bit under the radar in doing so just because their defense has never been this good, especially when Dak has been the quarterback. And so all we've gotten is just means of the Cowboys early in the playoffs or not even making the playoffs when, you know, this year they've actually really turned it around and you see some success. And so without the, you know, you know, hyping them up too much, I think they can really accomplish some things here, especially with kind of seeing how well they were able to, or how well they've been able to, you know, work in tandem with each other, the, the offense and the defense up until this point with Dak being out. And then now yesterday when the offense scores a bunch of points if the defense, is not on point, they let up 30 points. That no problem. The, the offense puts up 50, you know? So, so I really like kind of the, the way this team is, is, get, is kind of coming along and being formed thus far.
0: All right. Well, that's the only NFL topic for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it because it was really the only takeaway that we had from this, from this week that we haven't actually talked about already. You know, we, we've talked about the blocks and they lost again to the Ravens and everything like that. So we, we've already talked about the other stories that have come out of this week. So we're going to move on to college football now. So Brian Harson was fired at Auburn after just a season and a half of being the head coach there his record was 9 and 12, which is very not Auburn like because we know that Auburn, you know, SEC school, they used to be competitive with, with Alabama and all the top schools in the country for that matter, back when, you know, Cam Newton was there and everything like that. But the ridiculousness of the situation goes way further back. And I'm going to let, I'm going to hand it over to Matt here to talk about the situation that has been around Brian Harson in this program before now.
1: Well, first of all, Brian Harson. I think he coached at like Arkansas state way back in the day, whatever. He then goes to Boise state. And as we know, Boise state's not like they're not in a power conference. Okay. But they're they're in the mountain West time zone. So you never really see a lot of their games, but you always see them ranked obviously not this year because they've kind of fallen off after Brian Harson left, but he was their head coach and he was really taking them to the top of the mountain West. He, you know, they were ranked every year, had a lot of good quarterbacks come out of there. So Brian Harson's a really good coach but he gets hired at Auburn. And it's just one of those things in college football where sometimes you need a scheme fit. Sometimes you need a guy who's used to the culture of an SEC school who can you know, win over the hearts and minds of fans, parents, recruiters, everybody, and, and, and really run a program well top to bottom. And, and Brian Harson, I think just the move from a school like Boise State in the middle of Utah to a school like, or is it even, it's in Wyoming, of course. No, Boise, Idaho. What am I even talking about? Clearly, I've never really been out West because I don't even know what, what city the states are in. But that should tell you uh, Boise stays in the middle of Idaho. And, and obviously you're, then you're going down to Auburn, Alabama, where football is everything. Okay. So that's kind of just a weird transition to begin with. Now, fine. All right. Cool. He, he comes in. I don't know what the whole backstory of like who even decided to, to hire him. And and that's going to be relevant much after I kind of go through what happened here. So he goes six and seven in his first year at Auburn, which isn't bad. It's a bit, well, he, he went six in the regular season and then he lost the bowl game to Houston. And Houston's, Houston was a really good team last year. I think they were like 11 and three or something like that. So fine, you you know, six and seven season, it's a losing record, but you got to a bowl game, you played in a bowl game, and, and for, for Auburn, like, yeah, they won the national championship in 2012, but since then, they, like, beat Bama once, and that's pretty much it, like, they haven't been to the college football playoff ever in the history of its existence, they haven't, you know, played like a rose bowl. They haven't won ten games out of their twelve. They're playing on their regular season schedule. They haven't really been doing that much, and, and so that was kind of the exodus <laughs> of the Gus Malzon era, right? So, Gus Malzon was there when you know he had Cam Newton. He won the championship. He had a, they had a really good teams. Otherwise, you know, in addition to that too, that you know the kick six against Bama that was also Gus Malzahn. So like you have good games and good teams that are built under Gus Malzahn, but they didn't really get anywhere. So they said, okay, it's time to fire Gus Malzahn. We're going to move on. We're going to hire Brian, Brian Harson." Well, I don't know what this guy did to upset, who ended up doing that too. But basically as of last February, which is a month after the season ended again, the guy went six and seven in his first year at August, but, there's wasn't that much to work with the, the recruited like there weren't that many players a lot of them were leaving so basically what happens is and again all these really big SEC schools have tons of they have backers they have nil supporters there's collectives of people who are you know engaged in business relationships there, there's a lot of people behind rams who don't actually work for the school but just are kind of just around and whether that's good or bad it's kind of for you to find out but the reality is you want to be on their good side well somehow brian harson and this is a good guy brian harson never done it not like a super slimy person or whatever somehow maybe he just it was just what he didn't get as many wins as they wanted or whatever there were people who were again like not directly involved with the auburn program football program but people who were kind of around the program who were able to influence people who did work inside the auburn program basically a coup Established in order to find something wrong with Brian Harson, basically fire him. And this happened last February. Okay. Now, here's the explanation behind it Brian Harson, when he got to Auburn, he signed a six year contract for like $31 million. Okay. And you hear about, con- you hear about, you know, teams firing coaches all the time. Well, you know, you pay him his buyout, whatever. The only way to fire a coach and not have to, and be able to break the contract essentially, because if you fire the coach, you have to pay him a buyout and pay him the rest of that money, which usually is, you know, $20, $30 million. So the only way to get out of that, paying that buyout and, you know, breaching the contract is if you can basically criminally investigate and convict the head coach that he has done something against the law and go to court and all this stuff, like Fire a coach. So this is what was going on behind the scenes at Auburn this past winter with Brian Harson. Basically, he wasn't good enough, or people in the within the program thought that he wasn't good enough. So they basically just like took his entire life, tried to find somewhere where he broke some type of rule, whether it be NCA rule or personal or whatever. Basically, just like looked into his entire life to try to find something wrong they could take him to court and fire him, like. What? This is how crazy college football gets, especially in the Southeastern Conference and especially in Alabama and Auburn and, you know, all these schools that are so cute. So, but they don't find anything because he's never done anything wrong. Clearly, why would they? So this whole thing goes on and Brian Harson, meanwhile, Miles, like in Mexico, like on his summer vacation, has no idea any of this is going on, and then comes back and finds all finds out about it. And he's like, cool, nothing happened because they're not gonna find anything. So I'm still gonna be the Auburn head coach. And so he does. So he goes on. And this awkward existence between like him and the people who were trying to fire him, like it has been going on this whole time. And obviously, Auburn did not perform well this year. They haven't been so far. And so they rightly, you know, justified to, to fire him now. They're still gonna have to pay his buyout, which I think is 20 24 million dollars or something. And so, but I mean, whatever. Eventually it got to the point where they were willing to pay the money to fire him. And and so, yeah. So that's the crazy story behind this Carson thing. And he's just a good guy who used to coach at Boise State. And then didn't do so great at Auburn and but basically just got his whole life turned around by these people who wanted to fire him for not that big of a reason. But, hey, that's what it is in SEC football.
0: All right. So now that we have that explanation, we can go into kind of the the furthering of this topic, which is, well, what happens next for Auburn? Obviously, they have an interim head coach. I forget who it is. I just read it somewhere. But there's an interim head coach and they're going to try to find a new head coach to bring into Auburn and it has to be somebody that is tenured and that has a good reputation at either the next level or you know in college football at the, at the same level the SEC level and that's pretty fitting because essentially the top target right now that the Auburn Tigers are looking at in terms of the next head coach is a guy named Lane Kiffin and if you don't know who Lane Kiffin is he is well if you don't know who he is then probably don't really watch much college football, but that's what we're here for. We're, we're here to tell you about it. So Lane Kiffin is the head coach right now at Ole Miss, and Ole Miss I think is ranked 10th in the country or something like that. Ole Miss is also in the SEC, so there you go. There's some SEC experience that fulfills that requirement for Auburn's head coaching job. And Lane Kiffin also was the offensive coordinator at Alabama for a pretty long time under Nick Saban, and he did really well there. I think he, I think he was there when – what was it? I, th- I think he was there when Jalen Hurts and all the and all those guys are like Jalen Hurts. Maybe maybe the guy that was before Jalen Hurts, he was there with, with him, too. So, like, yeah, he I mean, he produced a lot of very good Alabama offenses. He moved to Ole Miss last year with Matt Corral. He basically got Matt, Matt Corral drafted high or as high as Matt Corral did get drafted because he just set up all these insane plays for Matt. Corral to just run and he told Matt Corral who to throw to. Like that, that was essentially what Lane Kiffin did last year. He was he just told Matt Corral, okay, I'm gonna run this play. You're gonna not stare this receiver down, but you're gonna throw to him no matter what, and it's gonna be a touchdown. And that's what happened on basically half of their offensive plays last year. He's a great coach, he's he's an insane offensive mind, probably probably one of the best, if not the best, offensive mind in in college football. And so Auburn now wants to bring back that offensive firepower that they've always had because I think their defense is still pretty good because their defense always, has always been pretty good. I mean, SEC defenses in general are usually better than their offenses. If there is one thing that's lacking on a team, it's most likely their offense in the SEC, but right. They want to bring that offensive firepower back to Auburn and Lane Kiffin is apparently the person that they're targeting the most right now. Now, it's kind of interesting because Lane Kiffin actually came out and he said he like commented on this whole Brian Harson situation because he knows what it's like to to get fired quickly after after becoming a head coach somewhere. And he's no he knows what it's like to have basically everybody against you in a college football program. And so right. So he basically came out and said he was like, yeah, I feel for for Brian. It, you know, this happens to the best of us and it's just what happens in in college football sometimes. But. Like he's going to move on to bigger and better things. And, you know, I, I really have a lot of respect for Brian Harson. and it's kind of weird. Cause it's like, okay, so you're coming out with a, with a little feel bad pity statement, but like, if you take this Auburn job, this could happen to you too. It's like, it, it's kind of a little paradoxical situation here where we have like, okay, Lynn Kiffin sent, you know, giving his apologies to Brian Harson about what Auburn did to him. Meanwhile, he might just go to Auburn and the same exact thing could, hap- could happen to him because we all know that Auburn is all about the drama, and their program just like Matt, like Matt just explained, like their program is just crazy in in terms of like what they'll do to either get a coach out or or get a coach probably get a coach there too. Like they'll probably go to extreme lengths to try to get Lane Kiffin there as well. So I don't know. I, I think that we could probably see Lane Kiffin go to Auburn because again, a, a little Kiffin return to the SEC would be uh, a pretty cool sight to see. And I I do think that he would do really well at Auburn. I mean, he recruits pretty well and. I mean, he runs right. He runs one of the greatest offenses in all of college football right now. So I don't know. I, I think that we could see Lane Kiffin in there, Matt, do you have anybody else that, that you might think that might land at Auburn?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't really have any other like specific candidates right now. I think that obviously you have like the Wisconsin job is open. The Nebraska job is open. And I feel like, the guys who have been fired and fired from those positions kind of fit like the Big Ten mold because those are, those are both Big Ten teams. We haven't really gotten like a like a a really open type of job person like an SEC that would be like an SEC school and The only other guy I think of is Urban Meyer, but after all the craziness with urban Meyer and the NFL, like obviously he's an amazing college coach, but would he even go back to college? I have no idea. Um, so, so yeah, I think Lane Kiffin's probably the, probably the best, uh, best idea there, but you know, who knows it's, it's Auburn. Like the expectations are always going to be through the roof and I feel like nobody's going to be able to live up to them, you know? And it's just one of those things where, okay, fine. You, you know, rid of Brian Harson after all of this investigation and, and all this stuff. And it's like, now what now you hire someone who's, who might be better but also might not be. And even if they are better, it's not going to be that much better because you clearly have teams like Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and the SEC who are, you know, building their programs a lot faster than Auburn. So it's one of those things that you're, you're kind of stuck either way, but hey, again, like I said, it's very impatient people who football runs their entire life and they'll do anything to be the best they possibly be, which includes paying Brian Hart's and $24 million buyout, as well as trying to find someone else whatever. Apparently there's also like, they're going to get a new AD and they're talking to like the Mississippi state athletic director to become the Auburn Direc- athletic director. And maybe he can kind of, you know, make changes and everything. So I think they're kind of clean house, which is probably the best thing for them, but who knows. All right. So the next college topic is, it's a big one. And it's really about this upcoming weekend. Obviously we had a, you know, a bunch of cool results from last weekend, which include Obviously, two of the bigger games, Ohio State, they look tested against Penn State, but at the beginning or the first half, at least, but kind of just rolling, rolling over, right? Penn State, they weren't able to keep up with Ohio State actually went ended up winning that game by 13 points. And then Tennessee and Kentucky was another rank versus rank matchup. And it was, you know, it wasn't supposed to be a really close game. Tennessee was favored by 12 points. Well, they won the game by 38 points. They won 44 to six. It was, The game was seven to six at one point, people, okay? And the Tennessee just, you know, decided, oh, well, let's just snap our fingers and put up more, you know, 37 more points. So anyway, based on those two results... You end up with the fact that, you know, well, looking back at last week's week's rankings, Ohio State was two and Tennessee was three heading into last week. Obviously, the results of those games have definitely changed that since then. So now Tennessee and Ohio State tied for second place in the new AP poll. And this is what everybody was hoping for, of course. And at the perfect time means that next week's game, this coming Saturday, between Georgia and Tennessee will be the will be between the top two teams in the country. It's a one versus two matchup. It's everything that we hope for in a college football season to, to be able to see. It just never really happens that much. Basically, unless it's LSU and Alabama, it hasn't happen right in the at least season obviously you know you get to the college football playoff that's that's of course you're going to be kind of having a one versus two matchup but in the regular season, it's so rare to see this it's between two teams who obviously we knew georgia was going to be that good but we didn't know you know maybe they take up take a loss along the way they'll be you know maybe sixth or seventh or eighth or whatever in the in the poll in all their games they're number one for basically the whole season. Tennessee obviously has gone, come completely out of nowhere and is dominating everyone they've played. And so now you end up with, and then two, kind of, you know, in addition to this, just for some background here, the reason this game means so much is because Georgia and Tennessee are both in the SEC. Okay. So, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, or LSU, sorry, Alabama LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, like Texas A&M, all those teams are on the SEC West. So, the SEC East is essentially Georgia, Tennessee, and then like Florida and Vanderbilt and Kentucky and teams that, you know, are kind of not that great. So the SEC West is always said as, you know, kind of the better half of the SEC, but this year, the two best teams in the country are both in the SEC East and they're both playing each other this weekend. So Hayden, give me a little preview of this game. Tell me who you think's going to win. Tell me who you think's going to show out, maybe who's not. And then we can get a little bit into, and then I'll kind of take over from there. And I'll go into a little bit more of like, like based on who wins the game, what will the standings look like? Not only in the AP poll, but also in the SEC, which has a lot of implications on who's going to be in the college football player to come.
0: Yeah, so essentially the spread of this game. I'm gonna start off with the spread. It's Georgia minus eight, and then obviously Tennessee is getting eight points in this game, which is which is a pretty crucial line in my opinion because right, it eight is over a touchdown. It's it's a touchdown and two point conversion would give you a push in this game. And it's, it's pretty interesting because it's in Georgia, but we still, I've, I feel like we still wouldn't really expect this big of a line. I, I looked it up and I was, I was expecting to see something maybe along like the lines of like four and a half, four ish. I, I don't know. Cause just because Tennessee has been on such a hot streak lately and it's not that Georgia hasn't been, it's just it's kind of, we expect Georgia to do that. But we don't. We haven't really expected Tennessee to do this. We haven't expected Tennessee to win forty-four to six over Kentucky. Who Kentucky? We. I mean, we thought that Kentucky was a pretty good team. They have Will Levis at quarterback, who is supposed to be this great NFL prospect. You guys, I don't know if you guys know my take on Will Levis, but I just don't. I don't think he's that good. Good of a quarterback. I think he just has the size. He's he's what we call a tool prospect because he has he has the size. He has the arm. He has everything. He has like the. He looks the part, but I don't know if he actually is the part. Anyway, Tennessee crushed Kentucky last week, and, and nobody really expected that. And Tennessee beat Alabama two weeks ago and nobody expected that. So it's like Tennessee has been on this tear lately and Georgia has also been doing their job and winning games. It's just that we expect that from Georgia and we don't expect that from Tennessee. So I think that when I was thinking about this game, I was getting a little bit blinded by some recency bias with Tennessee and saying, "Okay, well, this game should be closer in terms of the betting lines, but it's like, no, nah, not really, because Georgia's been doing this all season. They just have been doing it kind of on the low because, right, everybody expects them to only let up one touchdown per game, and everybody expects them to put up 40 points per game. So it's like, it it doesn't really, you know, I I, I feel like now that I think about it more, the line makes more sense. The minus eight does make more sense. And because it is in Georgia, I'm ve- I would be very curious to see, if it was in Tennessee, what the line would be, but I'm not going to make any predictions for that. The uh the money line odds are Georgia minus 315 and Tennessee plus 270. That that's pretty heavy there. I don't know if that's pretty standard for a minus eight plus eight type of line, but right, like if you look at that and you say, Okay, well, and you have so much faith that Tennessee is going to win this game, it's like, okay, we'll pump the brakes a little bit because they're plus 270, right? I think that there's probably something to this that's saying, okay, don't bet on the, on their side. I'm not saying don't bet on Tennessee because they could very well go into Georgia and win this game, but I don't know if they will. I think that Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt have been on a, an absolute tear, and it's actually kind of funny because we've, we've talked about Jalen Hyatt in the past. Well, it was right after he had his crazy game against Alabama, and we were saying, well, has this game is this kind of just a fluke game against Alabama? You know, he was just all the cards were falling his way. Not really, because last game he had, I think in the first half he had, or in the yeah, I think in the first half he had like three catches for ninety yards and two touchdowns just in the first half, and it's like, dude, this guy is going crazy again. So, I think that um that our topic uh you know a couple of weeks ago was was pretty good on talking about him and his draft stock, but I don't know. I think that Georgia will probably pull this off, especially because they are at home. It like that that stadium is going to be jumping. They know Georgia knows that Tennessee is a real opponent. It's it's not going to be one of those games where Georgia comes in and they're like, okay, well, you know, Tennessee, they're an SEC team, but we got this right. We, we, we've got the SEC West. It's like, or the SEC East. It's like, no, they know that Tennessee is real. They know that Tennessee is number two in the country. So they're going to prepare for them like it. I think that George is probably going to go out there and, and get it done. Kirby smart is a great coach. He, right. He's, I think he's very much like any other good SEC coach in the sense that he knows, what he's going up against and he's going to prepare for that. Well, I think that we're probably going to see Georgia win this game. I don't know about eight points. It, that's a little bit fishy to me, but I do think that we're going to see Georgia win.
1: Yeah. It's, it's tough. Yeah, um, Obviously. Right. You, you start game and it's one versus two, but the spread is eight points. Like that's almost like a blowout. Right. I mean, if Georgia wins this game by 10 points, like pretty handily. Oh, well, you know, that competitive. but I think that, I don't know. I, I think Tennessee can, can really show their stuff here. The, the, the difference is obviously I, their offense is, and it's because their schemes are different and it's, and it's something that the teams have to prepare for if you haven't been facing it very often. So I think the Tennessee offense is going to put up a lot of points, but the problem is the Tennessee defense, isn't that good. Okay. And the Georgia offense is not like amazing. It's not Tennessee's offense, but it's a good enough and it's efficient enough for them to be able to score pretty much at will on the Tennessee defense. So when you kind of combine here, like what sides are Better, I guess. The the Georgia offense is not as good as the Tennessee offense. But based on the fact that the Tennessee defense isn't that great, I think Georgia can score more on the Tennessee defense than the Tennessee can score against the Georgia defense. Because you gotta think about it. Like the Georgia defense last year was historic. It was amazing, but it's like just as good this year. Like many of their best players are still playing on the team this year. And like they're just they're still holding on, to like basically 10 points a game. Tennessee is going to score more than 10 points. I can guarantee you that, but I don't know if they're just going to be able to outpower offensively Georgia, like they did with Alabama. That was amazing. Their game against Alabama, but Alabama, like they're, I think more of an offensively focused team at this point too, whereas defense is the thing for Georgia. So, and Hayden mentioned it, like being at home means so much in a game like this. So it's going to be an amazing game. Like if you have time, Get on your couch at 3.30, watch, watch anything, you know, anything you can, because it, it really does, you know, it's really going to be a, a great, a great game to watch. Now, let me talk about the implications here. Okay. If Georgia wins this game, Tennessee has, a, has an L, right? They, they finally lost a game. And then Georgia will essentially go on to be undefeated for the rest of the season and they'll win the SEC East. They will represent the SEC East in the SEC Championship against the winner of the SEC West, which is going to be essentially, undoubtedly at this point, Alabama. So what happens if Tennessee wins the game? Well, Tennessee now, it remains undefeated. Georgia has an L in the lot Tennessee will essentially go on to win the rest of their games and they will represent the SEC East in the SEC who will be their opponent from the SEC West? It'll be Alabama, which will not change. Alabama is going to win the SEC West regardless, okay? So that's just a fact. This game has so much meaning and implications and everything for the rest of the college football season. Because basically, the winner of the game is going to play in the SEC title game and beats Alabama. There's a chance that Alabama won't make the college football playoff. But we all know about Alabama. It's either one of these teams they're going to have revenge on their minds. Nick Saban knows what to do in these types of circumstances, and they're going to win the SEC championship. In which case, either of these teams, who, them. So here's the crazy part. Okay. Let's say which they're favored to do. So that's like, you know, that's probably a good assumption to make. They go on and they play Alabama in the SEC Championship game. Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. Alabama wins the SEC. Well, we're used to it, but hey, it's the best conference in football. They have to earn a spot in the college football championship or college football. Georgia, on the other hand, won 12, they went 12 and 0. They won every single game in their entire season. And then, you know, they lost the SEC championship game to the best team in the country in Alabama. Well, okay, well, Georgia definitely deserves this spot in the college football playoff because they're still one of the top college football. Where does that leave Tennessee? Oh, right. Tennessee, the only loss they have is to Georgia, who, end, you know, losing the conference championship to Alabama. But who beat Alabama? That's Tennessee. So at that point, you're like, well, Tennessee can't be left out. They deserve a spot in the college. So essentially, what this is adding up to be is just another way for us to say how great the SEC is because they could potentially, very actually potentially, get three teams into a four team college football playoff this year. And that would be insane it would be unprecedented. It never happened before, but again, willing to say that that's false. Like are Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee, not among the three best teams in the country right now. I think so. It kind of sucks because it's like, all we're going to see is SEC teams, but that's all I want to see. Like, would you guys want to see a rematch of Alabama? Of course you would like for as crazy as that game was. And then you're getting a revenge game. Like that'd be amazing. So yeah. I don't think it'll, I think it'll end up being all three teams in the SEC that can make it to the college football playoff. I think there's going to be, you know, obviously Clemson's going to be undefeated. You're going to have Ohio, one of them is going to be undefeated. So I think one, essentially the loser of this game, the loser of this game or the loser of the SEC championship, whenever it comes up, you know, whenever it comes up, well, okay, let's put it this way. Both Tennessee and Georgia can make it in the college football playoff. As long as whoever Game beats Alabama in the SEC championship because at that point, Alabama would have two losses. They're not going to make it in, right? But if Alabama beats these teams in the college, in the SEC championship, Alabama basically has to go because the only team they lost to was Tennessee, who's also a top 10 team. You know, see what I'm saying? So it's like it ends up being that situation where there's going to be a guaranteed two teams in from the SEC. The only question will be if the eventual winner of this game beats Alabama in the SEC championship. Let's think about that way, right? Georgia beat Georgia wins this game and then they beat Alabama in the SEC championship. Alabama's out for sure. Georgia's in for sure. But then what do we do about Tennessee? Tennessee will essentially be a one-loss non-conference champion, but basically have the best resume of like anyone in the entire country and not win their conference, but like, loss came against the best team in the country. Like that's where the arguments are going to get fun. I'm really excited for the end of this college football season.
0: All right. With that being said, let's move on to our last segment of the day, which I don't think we even, well, we didn't even mention what segments we have for today or slated for today earlier in the episode, but we've got some ESPN notification nonsense to get into. So let's hop into it. So if you guys don't know what the premise of this segment is, because it's kind of, it's relatively a new segment on here. It's essentially where Matt goes through his phone and looks at all the ESPN notifications that he gets. And he looks at all the ones that don't have a header that don't have a little bold heading or don't have a title. And they just have words to them, but they say the most outlandish things and we want to share them on this podcast because it's, it's just a funny segment that we, that we go through. And I bet you, you're probably listening to this and you, if you haven't been here before, you're probably like, wow, this sounds really stupid. Trust me. You're going to hear some of these and you're going to be like, what the heck? Because, Right. They have no title, but they are they sometimes have like the biggest implications and sometimes have the most intense meanings. But it's just like they have no title. So, Matt, take it away.
1: All right. So the first one here. And, and again, yeah, some of them are like insane. Some of them are crazy. And some of them. Just, what is what was the point of this? Like, there's no story. There's no context. And so we have an array of those in this episode for you. This One here is, quote. Price of qualifying offer to MLB free agents rose to 19.65 million, an increase of 1.25 million. Period. What? What does that even like? I'm trying to kind of quantify this in my brain, and I'm like, I don't know what that means because. In the MLB, like, I understand there's no salary cap and you can pay as much as you want for your players. But, like, does that mean the average free agent's salary was that? Because you're not buying these players. So, again, one of those – this is one where there's no context. We need a story here. We need some background information because we have no idea what this means.
0: All right, moving on to the next one here. We've got one about Alvin Kamara, which is pretty interesting. So, it's, quote, civil lawsuit filed against Alvin Kamara by man injured in felony battery case – seeks jury trial and $10 million in damages Unquote. Now, if you don't know, it was, it was this past pro Bowl. I'm pretty sure where, where Alvin Camaro was supposed to play in the pro bowl. And I think it was like the night before or something like that. He basically just like beat this dude up at at a club or something like that. Like he just, he just like absolutely violated this guy. I'm not trying to make fun of it in any way. I'm just saying like, it was, it was the most unexpected thing. It was, I think it was literally the day of the pro bowl. It was like Sunday morning. And these, these reporters come out and they're like, yeah, 3 a.m. last night or 3 a.m. earlier this morning, Alvin Kamara basically committed assault on this guy. And it's like, what Like, dude, you literally had, you were going to play in the Pro Bowl t- tomorrow. It's like, right, that's one way to get out of playing in the Pro Bowl. But yeah, so essentially this guy is is, is filing for a felony battery case and he's seeking jury trial and $10 million in, dam- in damages. $10 million to Alma Kamara is probably not that much Actually, not probably it's it's not that much. It is more than any fine that the NFL would give him. But it's all but I think the, the jury trial is probably the, the more the more significant thing here because it's like, dude, Kamara could be going to court. Like he could be going on a trial. And we I don't know how that would hinder his his play if it would be out of season, but it's just like, why is this not talked about more? This is kind of significant.
1: It is, it is. So the next one here is actually pretty cool. So it says, quote, silver medal of man who lost to Jesse Owens at the 1936 Olympics sells for $448,000. Now there's a really cool backstory behind this. If any of you guys have seen the movie Molly's game at the very beginning, she talks about a story, about a guy named Mackenzie Robinson, who, and it's crazy. Cause she like, that's a really good movie. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. But she talks about this guy runner who like absolutely obliterates the world record for like the hundred, I think it was, I think it was 400 meter dash. And he like, his whole life and he breaks the record and he does it. And it's like this amazing feat. The only problem is he lost to this guy named Jesse Owens who broke the record by even more. Jesse Owens goes on to be the most storied and and awarded track runner in the history of the world. And this guy, Mackenzie Robinson who also broke the same record on that day basically ends up being a janitor for the rest of 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 his life and doesn't get anything except this one silver medal which ended up selling for 448,000. So cool backstory there. Um, I just thought that was funny that I, I got that notification. I'm like, hey, I know what this means because I saw this one movie that one time. So, yeah.
0: Yes, that's a that's a very good one. And if uh, if you like Molly's Game, talk about it with Matt because he's a huge fan of Molly's Game. If you're listening to this right now and you happen to be a fan of the movie, I still have yet to watch it. But I'm, I'm sure that I'll like it because Matt says it's one of his favorite movies ever. So this next one is, quote, new UFC policy prohibits fighters from wagering on promotions fights in memo obtained by Mark. Raimondi. I think that's how you pronounce his name. This one, this one's kind of vague as well. Like I, I've read this one and I didn't really know what was going on. I assume that it's just, I assume that it's basically like, like the, it's kind of like the NFL rule where like, you can't bet on NFL games and like the UFC is kind of different because it's different fighters. Like I feel like the different fighters teams are, are more exclusive. And so like, there's not as much information that you or as not as much insider information that you can have on a team, but yeah, I think I think this basically means that UFC fighters can't bet on other fights that aren't theirs, but which ca- kind of makes sense a little bit, but it's also kind of vague. Like it took a little bit to to process that. So.
1: Yeah, that's the point. It's like what they shouldn't be allowed to wager on the like what? Like yeah. because the thing is like boxing as a whole like lost its popularity because people thought the fights were rigged. And it's like if that's going to be the precedent for these UFC fights, then you can't have them be bet like why was this allowed in the first place? <laughs> all right. Next one is, quote, the, M- the NBA and the NBA NBAPA uh, announced, pl- announced a plan to encourage more respectful behavior within basketball, even at youth levels, end quote. Okay, cool. Were we not being respectful before? Why are we like all of a sudden being like, okay, we need to be nice guys. Like in the first place, the basketball actually be a very intense and rough sport, especially back in like the 80s and 90s. It's, it's since calmed down a lot. I don't understand why we're not being respectful anymore. So kids out there, even if you're like six years old at those youth games, when the parents are going crazy, be more respectful guys.
0: Dude, I think I, so I think I saw one similar to this, but I think it was a bleacher report notification. And it it, literally the title, like the bold title that we're not getting with these ESPN notifications, the bold title on the bleacher report notification literally said NBA denounces racism. It's like, it's like, dude, so the NBA didn't denounce racism before. It's like, dude, why is like, are you kidding? Like literally the title was NBA denounces racism. And why? Like you could have thought of another title and you could have maybe put that in the, in the article, but think of another title that makes it seem like you already didn't denounce racism. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, that's, kind of, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it was weird, but that's, that's funny nonetheless. All right. So the next one is quote FIFA survey, finds women's soccer experiencing growth in revenue broadcast deals and fan interest unlike any other sport which i think which is pretty i don't know that's, that's pretty cool in my opinion that's probably that's this is probably like the best one out of the whole the whole pack today but um but yeah still still kind of like a like a, a pretty big thing like a pretty big thing that's happening across the world and still doesn't have a title just kind of hidden in there in the in the fine print
1: yeah good for women's soccer i love this one and then the last one, which is maybe the most crazy out of them all, an NBA, quote, hold on, quote, NBA 2K League indefinitely disqualifies players and a coach from any league activity for violating gambling and fantasy rules, end quote. So, so, so okay, this is a video game. league. Like I literally, I, I looked the picture on this and it had like a bunch of computers and like people sitting around, like, what are we gambling on? what are we do? What are we playing fantasy on? It can't be the real league because these guys aren't involved in the league. So you're telling me that there's like gambling rings between players who are playing in these online, like be just a big cheating scandal, I guess is probably what they were getting at, but like gambling and fantasy rules within an NBA 2k league, it's, the world has gone crazy. And obviously if, Hey, If there's something going on, there's a way to bet on it. And people have definitely found a way to, to, make that statement come
0: true. All righty. Well, with that being said, we have officially ended off our ESPN notification nonsense segment, and therefore we have ended the podcast for today. hope you guys enjoyed it again. Sorry for not coming out with an episode, a second episode last week. It's been a week since we've posted, but this was a, this was a pretty good episode to follow that and to, to make up for that lost episode last week. Again, happy Halloween to everybody. It just does not feel like Halloween at all. So I've forgotten to make Halloween references throughout this episode, but that's okay because you'll have the transitions. You'll have the spooky transitions in between um, in between topics today. And it's the only day of the year that's going to have that. So there you go. With that being said, we, uh, we're going to head out for the night. So thank you guys for listening and we will catch you later on in the week.